Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Maya Brogel, Jennifer Vesbitt, and Gina Davis of Empower Donation. These are the three women united on a mission to normalize embryo donation as a family building option. Together, they have founded Empower Donation, an education company dedicated to increasing awareness, empowering choice, and fostering understanding for everyone involved in embryo donation. Maya Grobel is a California-licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist who specializes in supporting individuals and couples struggling to conceive or building their family in alternative ways. Maya is also a documentary filmmaker and a co-producer of One More Shot, a feature-length film she produced with her husband documenting their tumultuous journey to parenthood. Maya is a proud mother via embryo donation. Jennifer Vesbitt is a nationally certified counselor who founded Embryo Donation Support, a web-based community for embryo donors. Jennifer is a proud mother of twins conceived through IVF and proud donor of one embryo who is now a healthy boy. Gina Davis is a founder of Advocate and Genetic, the independent genetic counseling practice specializing in reproductive medicine. Gina is a board-certified and multi-state licensed genetic counselor who has been immersed in the field of reproductive medicine for the past 18 years. Gina is a proud mother of two children through IVF and a proud donor of an embryo who is now a healthy girl with additional embryo donations underway. Maya, Gina, and Jennifer all have their own unique connection to embryo donation. I am thrilled to be speaking with them today. Welcome, ladies. So happy you could join me today. So I just shared a little bit with our listeners about each of you, but I would love for each of you to share a bit about yourselves, if you don't mind. And Jen, since you're like at the top of my screen, I'm going to choose you first, if you don't mind. (laughs) Yeah, oh, no, I don't mind at all. Sorry, I'm just silencing my phone. How so professional of me. Um, no, I don't mind at all. I would love to start. So you just want to learn a little bit more yeah. about my particular story? Yep. Okay. Um, well, again, my name is Jen Vesbit. Um, I am an embryo donor and a mother of twins via IVF. Around the time that my twins were about three years old, four years old, I started really thinking about that storage bill I got annually from my clinic, asking me what I wanted to do with my one remaining embryo. In my case, I only had one remaining embryo after IVF, um, so it was a decision that really weighed on me. And again, after about three and a half years or so, started looking into donation options for that embryo. Once uh, my clinic only at the time did unknown donations. So I went off on my own and found a recipient. And um, she now has a five-year-old boy that is my genetic son and my twins um, full genetic sibling. So going through this process, I found that there wasn't that much information out there in the world in terms of you know, sort of what to do with remaining embryos, 
how to find recipients, how to find support. For me, I was really looking for support, especially after I made the decision to donate. So long story short, what I ended up doing um, after my recipient's child um, was born is I created a website, which is called embryodonationsupport.com. And it is um, a community and support for embryo donors. I started running embryo donation support groups. Those are run for either current donors, so those who have donated and want to talk about the um, large amount of emotions they may be feeling, and also those considering donation or just considering what disposition option makes sense for them. So all of the groups are sort of a mix um, of, of those. Um, they've all been women so far, so of those women. Do you want me to talk a little bit about how Empower came together as well, or do you just kind of want our personal stories first? Oh, we're definitely going to get there. Okay, okay. <laughs> oh, we're definitely going to get there. Um, okay. So I'll actually, I'll have Maya go next. Okay. I'm in the hot seat next. Yes. <laughs> so I'm Maya. Um, I'm on the other end of Jen and Gina's experience, since they both were able to create embryos and um, are both embryo donors, I'm actually a parent via embryo donation. So I have a now six-year-old daughter through embryo donation. And it, I didn't anticipate to have a family in this way. And I think most recipients or most people on this end of, of it, does they, we don't, sometimes the, the process just kind of unfolds in a specific way. Um, so I, I'm also a psychotherapist. So I, um, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I've been working in the field of uh, assisted reproduction and reproductive health and, and medicine for people who are building their families in alternative ways. And clearly my experience has um, personally connected me to, to the work that I do. And um, I'm also, I, I made a film about our journey to parenthood called One More Shot that came out. It was, it was on Netflix for a few years, starting in 2018, and is now on a different platform called Vimeo On Demand. Um, but I made this film with my husband because when we were going through a lot of the fertility struggles, we just didn't see anything reflected out there that looked like what we were going through. It's both really upsetting, but also, you know, kind of ridiculous in a lot of ways. But I think part of the, the film is we interviewed different people who created a family in different ways. And um, through that process, I learned that there are a lot of ways that families come together. And that was really helpful for me. And through that process and with our end result being embryo donation um, is how our family came together. After the film came out, we started getting emails from people in different parts of the world saying, we have an extra embryo. We have, a re we have remaining embryos, sending pictures of themselves and their children. We had somebody offer eggs at one point. And, you know, it was at this moment after, you know, we've gone through all this, we finally had a, a, a family. But then I realized, oh, wait a minute, this, there's something that could be very different about this. I didn't really even know that you could connect to a potential donor in, in this way, you know? So I, I just learned a lot. And that's when I started to become really interested in embryo donation and the landscape and just learned that it's, it's quite complicated, um, the, the whole embryo donation landscape. And, um, but, you know, the work that we are doing now is hopefully going to shift that a little bit. Um, but, but yeah, that's my, that's my experience. Awesome. Gina? Yeah. So 
you know, I, I've um, been a genetic counselor in infertility since I graduated. I mean, well, I graduated college and I was like, I'm going to become an inf- a genetic counselor in infertility. So I started working at fertility clinics and had no idea that this was going to be a personal journey for me. Um, I, I just loved working with fertility patients. And um, when, when I, when my husband and I ended up having to go through fertility treatment, we got to see it on the other side for a long time. I just thought this is a learning experience. And I really tried to buffer myself up and really be positive about like, how is this, you know, like now I get to see it on my patient side, but I've been working in this field for a long time. I think my experience, I I eventually became an embryo donor. Um, but I think the reason that I became an embryo donor is because, well, number one, you know, I, I made, I made a lot of eggs when I went through IVF. And I think that it had become so normal to me to see people go through this cycle, go through a cycle and like have nothing at the end. I had seen, I mean, I'd seen success too, but as a genetic counselor, I see kind of some of the worst case scenarios sometimes too. And so just kind of my selection, my lens into the world. And so it almost became like, I, out of fear, we, we inseminated all of our, all of my eggs. And I didn't really see it as like, this is going to be a huge decision for me. Like, I just thought, oh, we'll just become embryo donors. That'll be such a nice thing to do. That was my first thought. As soon as we knew our embryo fertilization report and stuff, I, I thought, oh, well, we'll just become embryo donors. That's awesome. Like how amazing I could do this. And I know I can do this. And then the complexity of that decision and like having made all those embryos really hit me over time. Our first embryo transfer resulted in my son and we had made 18 embryos. So my first embryo was my son. And then we we did get pregnant in between naturally somehow. I don't know how that happens after, you know, I mean, we people talk about it all the time, but I got pregnant naturally after going through IVF and we, we ended up having a miscarriage. But to me, it was somewhat in a good thing because I thought, oh my gosh, I just need to go get my embryos out of the freezer. Like I want to transfer another embryo. I don't want to keep, I, I know that they're in there and they're Otherwise, I'm going to be donating all of them. And so then we went back a couple of years later. We had our um, our second embryo transfer, had our daughter. And so now we have we have a six and a nine-year-old now. Our daughter's six and our son's nine. And when she was born, I really felt like this was it for me. Like I I just felt like my bandwidth, like I was from the from day one thinking, okay, this is as much as I can take. My husband wasn't as convinced, but of course he's he's a man and he wasn't doing all the getting up in the middle of the night. He sleeps very well and he wasn't, you know, breastfeeding and all that stuff. So um you know, we, I finally, you know, convinced him that I was not, I was not going to have any more kids. I was really happy with the, the kids we had. And I, we had to kind of really talk about what does it mean for me? Like what this decision means. And for him, he wasn't as on board right away, but you know, he, he, over time, he started to see my perspective that like, I work with fertility patients all the time. I see such amazing people that could be parents, but have not gotten as lucky as us when they went through IVF. And so they're in a different boat. And I just, I couldn't walk by and doing what I do every day. I couldn't walk by and not do something that it just felt like I was called to do. And so we ended up becoming embryo donors. And and through that experience, I mean, actually, that's kind of how I found Jen is that, you know, I was just looking for some support and I kept on like I was stalking everything she had done. I had, I watched everything that I read, everything she had done. I listened to everything she had done. And I was just looking for somebody that understood the complexity and how profound this was. Because as a professional in the field, like for me, I think I had, it had become too normalized. I was like really comfortable with the idea of gamete donation and really comfortable with the idea of alternative families. But then putting that experience directly in my lap and having to make those decisions suddenly was like overwhelming. And so meeting Jen and Maya really helped me to shape how I can get through this, get through this place in my life and, and, and find some, you know, find the silver lining in it. 
Yeah. And that, I mean, uh, and I think that is probably the case for a lot of people that are, have been in the same situation. Um, so, but before I, cause now I have all these questions that are kind of like popping in my head, but let me slow myself down and first ask how did the three of you even evolve? How did empower donation come about? Whoever wants to jump in. <laughs> Who wants to take it? I'm just trying to see who's on mute and who's not on mute. <laughs> you take it, Maya. Talk about I'll, our late I'll, nights. I'll, well, I'll, 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 I'll start. I think we, we probably all have a slightly different version of our origin story. But, you know, I think it really comes down to that the three of us were independently working in the embryo donation space. You know, Gina as a genetic counselor for years. Jen really, you know, took a role that not, I don't know that anybody else was doing in supporting donors who, you know, so many people have remaining embryos that don't quite know what to do and need some kind of community and support. And so she just took that on her own to create. So she was doing that work. And I was, you know, I'm a, I'm a therapist, like I mentioned. And so I've been working in the Field, you know, doing various meeting with people who are oftentimes trying to decide what their, you know, next move is in, in the fertility process and stuff. So we were kind of independently doing these things. Gina was independently stalking Jen and her embryo donation support. And then I believe they connected first, but, you know, sometimes I, I don't know, sometimes when you're meant to connect maybe is part of it. And so some magic involved, but we connected through just mutual people, um, chatted on the phone a couple of times. And then we met at a conference, right? It was, it was the, in Palm Springs where we met for the first time at a, at a, at PCR at a fertility conference. And when we met each other, you know, I don't, I don't think I can actually say love at first sight, but I think it was um, a real trust at first sight that we all felt really connected to having these personal experiences with embryo donation, a professional lens, and then also seeing the gaps and really realizing there's, we could, this could be better somehow, you know, that people need to have more choices. They need to have more education. They need to be more informed. They need to be more supported. They need front end education so that, you know, some people might not want to inseminate all their eggs on the front end and then have the back end, you know, decision-making choice of, of what to do with remaining embryos. And, and people are very paralyzed by that decision often, you know, and so we just got to know each other. Other. And it was the timing was such that this grant that the Health and Human Services Department puts out every, I think, two years and has, it has done for the past several years. Um, and I've known about it for several years. Um, but, you know, we, we saw that the grant was coming out again. And the grant is for embryo donation awareness and support and education. Um, and we thought, well, we should go for it. But what are we? <laughs> We're three women on a mission to change the landscape. But we had to, we had to be, you know, a legitimate LLC or nonprofit. And we were like, well, maybe we're this and maybe we're that. And we were really trying to figure out what our identity was. Um, and we ended up kind of slapping an LLC on, on our name just so that we could apply for the grant. And when we started writing the grant process, it started to really connect. We all met in Portland. We all flew out to Portland and we stayed at, Jen's sister has a, has a place there. So we all just kind of holed up in this, in this space and ate hummus and, you know, did interpretive dance to our embryo donation experiences <laughs> and whatnot. And, and we just were able to, you know, talk about all of these pieces of embryo donation that we really, really believe in that is about 
you know, how can you educate yourself to make informed decisions? Embryo donation is not for everyone. And, you know, meeting Jen and Gina for me and just seeing their part in this. And I think Eloise, just listening to your story the other day, you're one, I put you in a similar category with the two of them. There's something about giving that is in your souls, you know? And, and I was like, this is an, these are amazing humans, you know, but it's such a hard decision to make. And I don't know that I, if I had embryos, I don't know what I would have done. And I think everybody really has the right and, and it's important to make the best decision for yourself. And so we don't advocate or push embryo donation. We just want people to be able to explore it as an option, as a, both a family building option and a disposition option. And so as we really started to uncover and dig into what, what's our identity as a group, as an organization, what do we want to do, we landed on this project called Empowering Choice in Embryo Donation. Um, that was the title of our grant project. It was all about education, support, connecting with people, creating community, making it more inclusive and more accessible. Advocacy, awareness, normalizing this family building choice for people. And I think really highlighting the importance of valuing long-term family functioning and the child's perspective. And that's both on the children of donors, which are really rarely talked about, but also obviously donor conceived kids like my daughter, you know, what, you know, especially as genetics has changed this landscape of donor conception so much. We really wanted to include the voices of donor conceived people into this whole process um, and support clinics and being able to offer things for patients, both in terms of education and actual facilitation in a way that isn't you know, just this is, it's anonymous and that's it, you know, or, or whatever. So that's, that's how we came together. And we applied for this grant. I think our LLC official thing like came in maybe two days before. I remember I was writing and calling them like, can we get an extension? And they were like, nope. And we're like, oh my God, did we do all we, I mean, we really wrote this grant and poured our heart into it. And it's, it's hard, <laughs> you know, it's a lot of research. And all. So we wrote this thing and then we, well, our LLC thing came through. I was like, Jen, hit submit, hit submit, you know? And she's like, the, the thing kept not working, right? Our internet, I mean, everything. And then we sent it and we went, okay, whatever it is, it is. And then we had to wait a couple months to find out. In that those couple months, we just continued to talk about what we'd like to do. And when we found out that we received the grant, it was such validation to what we wanted to do. And then we just hit the ground running and it's been uh, a lot of work, <laughs> but also just really exciting to see how this is starting to unfold and how we're as a group starting to really find our identity and our voice in this space that we hope represents a lot of other people's voices. And, and it, Good Lord knows it's, it's so much, it's so needed. Just it's very much needed. So I know where we've already kind of got into the discussion, but I think maybe it might be good to actually start with the basics and define what embryo donation is. Going back to our, in season one, we actually have an episode specifically on embryo donation and kind of breaking that down. But since we're kind of talking about it again, and just for the sake of this episode, would one of you guys mind sharing, um, you know, what is embryo donation? Sure. And anybody who wants to really learn about it, listen to that episode that Eloise did because it's brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll give a one-liner and then maybe somebody else's voice can be heard. Um, 
But embryo donation, it, we really think of it as, as kind of an unintended consequence of IVF in some ways on the side of the donor and a family building choice for recipients. So embryo donation is both a, a disposition option for embryos, as they say, and a family building option. Um, that's, that's kind of the, the gestalt of it, but I guess more specifically, I don't know, Jen, just both, both of them became unmuted. So I feel like maybe somebody has a better answer or an additional answer. I, I wouldn't say better, but I think that what is really interesting about embryo donation is that the donors are people that have been fertility patients themselves. And so there is this feeling that a lot of people are just, they have a lot of empathy for people who got to the end of their journey and didn't have a baby in another way, or maybe they, maybe this is a first option for people, but I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of differences in the sense that people have experienced that pain themselves of thinking that maybe they wouldn't be able to have a child. And so it's like the, so there's this piece that is very different than than other ways of family building that people have experienced. And so, you know, I feel like that's what drew me to it was like this paying it forward thing, this this um, understanding the complexities of what this feels like to be an infertility patient and just choosing to put yourself out there and choosing to make this really difficult decision despite it being something they don't have to do. You know, it's it's not something that there's, you know, there's really, there's, there's a lot of other, there are other options. Now, what about, because you hear people say embryo donation and then embryo adoption. Is it the same thing or is it not the same thing? And I, I already know the answer, but what would you guys say is the right terminology to use? I'll take this. Um, well, we use the term embryo donation um, because of a lot of reasons that you actually outlined beautifully in your podcast on embryo donation. And it's really more about the legal context of what adoption requires of recipient parents who may not, you know, this, this is a very different thing than a child that's that's already living. And so we think that um, the grounding ourselves in embryo donation is a really important thing for for the for the recipient parents for legal reasons and for the medical community. At the same time, we also understand that a lot of people are more comfortable with adoption language, or they use that as a model because it's something that they that there's something out there already for it. So people kind of understand, especially people in the public who don't know much about embryo donation. It's like a model that they can eat. Well, it's like we did this, and so they have a way to understand what that is. And I think even for my own embryo donation, I, I forgot to mention that there's actually a child <laughs> from my embryo donation, the first one anyway, who's now two. Um, but in our family, and so in in our in in our situation, um, we our first our first recipients were um, was actually a family member, my uncle and his wife. And they refer to it as embryo adoption. And I think a lot of the reason that they do is because she looks a little, she looks different than people in their family. My husband is black and Filipino and he and our children, you know, our children, and she looks, you know, she she's mixed race and they're white. And I think that it's really helpful context to, you know, for, for them to explain this in a way that people understand, um, and especially because, you know, going into your whole fertility history with strangers on the street, because they say, oh, your daughter looks a little, you know, like she's, is your husband darker or whatever? Like they'll, they'll start, they'll stop her and ask her questions. And I think that it's a, an opportunity for her to educate them. And it starts from a model that makes sense, you know, you know, linguistically and, you know, culturally, but I think there's some problems with adoption language too. And I think that the children that are conceived through embryo donation have a whole different set of experiences that are not the same experiences of kids that have been adopted. And I, I so I think there's some problems. We just don't have the right language. And if we had the right language, you know, it would be nice, but we're not there and yet. 
I just wanted to add to that. I think that was such a great point, Gina. And I think we as an organization in general, we believe whatever language is comfortable to those who use it is as it should be. But I think there's just a lot of misunderstanding or miseducation out there in terms of terminology. So you might hear it called adoption. So you might call it adoption because you've never heard anything else. And then you might read an article or something put out by ASRM or hear about, you know, so it's that's why we're here is because we want to educate about all these complexities and language and things like that. So even though we call it donation, we would never like look down on somebody that calls it adoption. But sometimes we want the people to have a personal choice, but sometimes education may change that. Um, I know that my recipient, she started calling it adoption and then she she read some things, she connected in some um, donor-conceived people groups and she stopped calling it adoption. So it's really this complicated landscape that can that language can change over time. So yeah, and I'll just piggyback on that because I think I did the same thing when I, you know, I thought I, as I'm receiving an embryo, I didn't, it's like, I'm a recipient of a donor embryo, right? It's like, what do I say there? And so I thought, oh yeah, I'm adopt, you know, then it's adoption. But then I had a friend who was adopting. I was like, I'm not doing what she's doing. <laughs> like that's, that's a real process. It's a legal process and it gives personhood sort of status in different ways. So then I started learning also, but you know, and then I also thought I don't conceptualize my child as an adopted child. And I think, you know, but I, but I do think that some people who are like Gina's recipient, um, you know, when specifically, you know, if you have a, a, a child of a different race or, you know, or something, there sometimes is a different conceptualization. I don't believe that Jen or Gina feel they put their embryo up for adoption, right? So it, so there, so the, there's a mismatch sometimes too, but I think this idea of how do we conceptualize our families and there are, we were borrowing a little bit from adoption, we're borrowing from donor conception with embryo donation because it's uniquely and specifically its own thing. And so how do we embrace that as, as a whole or as a, as a community and, and talk about it in ways that are comfortable for our unique family setups and, and conceptualizations and whatnot? Yeah, definitely. And you actually have a video on your website in which you make clear that embryo donation is not for everyone. And you've already actually spoke about it um, on the episode already. Why is that a necessary early statement, do you feel? I think it's a necessary early statement because, oh, well, I don't know. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt Riff and somebody else had a different thought, but I think it's an, an, an it's an important thing because a lot of the a lot of the embryo donation landscape has been, you know, has a little bit of a, a you know a religious bent or a certain you know philosoph like philosophical bent and we just want, we're just want to be inclusive and we're all non-directive. We all come from a counseling angle and realizing that people make decisions that have to fit within their own life views and their own perspectives. And that's not going to include this big, very, this very big decision for everybody. And it's like living with your decisions and living your best life after your decisions is so important. Like, that we just don't think there's a one size fits all answer for what to do if you if you have remaining embryos. There's no one there's no one answer for that question, and we're just very aware of that. I'm a genetic counselor. I talk to people about very difficult decisions that they make in their lives in all aspects, and it's it's surprising because a lot of people think they know what they would do in all different situations, and then it comes to it, and they make a very different decision than they thought they would make. And I just feel like it's not fair to put people under this this there, there there's no right and wrong. There's just not. There's these are complex, profound questions that each person has to answer themselves. Yeah, yeah. How, do you 
how many embryos do you guys think are 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 donated in the United States each year? <laughs> oh, this is a pause. <laughs> it's it's a I think there's some early statistics last one like 2016 or something like that and it was a, a little under 2000 or something. Um I think it's hard I don't know Gina might have a better sense but you know embryo donation is the least common mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. disposition option and family building option you know for a lot of people we know that the demand for the interest on the recipient side is much higher than what's currently available as donated but in terms of how many embryos are cryopreserved how many you know embryos are stored around the country it's likely over a million again there's a very outdated statistic i say outdated just cuz it was i think 2012 um or something like that and it was like 400,000 embryos but we know that that number is likely much higher um yeah, I feel like there was a number updated about 1.6 million, but I'm just not recalling off the top of my head where it's from. And I, so I think that's outdated too. I really think there are a lot of embryos out there that are frozen, but I think from the perspective of, I don't know the actual number, but I know from some of the largest cryobanks that this is a very, very rare disposition option. It's like two to 4%, you know, of people when they finally make a final disposition option do they elect embryo donation? Not not to science, but embryo donation to other people. It's about somewhere in the two to four percent range. But a lot of people are more interested in. It. I think when when surveyed, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my statistics wrong because recall is not my thing. Like, but but I think it's like. 15% to 20% somewhere in there of people that were interested in the idea of embryo donation. But once it comes down to it and they have to go through the process, a lot of people elect to change their minds once they're getting into the process. And that might be for a number of reasons. It's a complex process or it has been in the past. It's getting to be a little bit easier because it's more familiar, but there's also this other piece, this huge emotional piece. And now with ancestry testing, 23andMe, all of these things, that changes it too. And so I think that we're just going to have a lot of people that have to explore how do they feel about their remaining embryos. We're just going to have a lot more people facing these decisions and whatever decision they make is the right decision for them. It's just that it's going to, everybody has to make that decision and and come to that sense themselves. And I think the most common disposition choice is actually not a disposition choice, but it's to store indefinitely. And there, you know, I think it was something like 70% of the population stores for five years or more or something, you know, something like that. At five years, I think there's a moment for people where you go, do we want to just keep paying for what, you know, what do we do? And, you know, and that's an opportunity for education perhaps in those moments. But um, and, and that's what we're hoping to, to provide. And again, in a, not really a directive way, but a, how do you help people out of paralysis and just really understanding what are the implications of these different choices? And it's very hard when for a lot of people, none of them feel really good. So it's just kind of figuring out, um, you know, how, how, how do you make decisions? And, you know, the, the need will be there because I think that people on the other end are really grateful. I mean, I know I am. I mean, I think about this often, you know, somebody could have checked a different box on a form and my kid wouldn't be here, right? And when you think about it that way, you go like, man, this is kind of an incredible thing, you know, in so many ways. And now that, and seeing the way Jen and Gina have both approached it in a known way where they can connect and build a relationship that feels comfortable for them. They both have very different relationships with their recipients. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's t- it's a totally new way to create family. And it could be scary on one hand, and or it could be really interesting and exciting. And so, 
you know, we want to embrace the interesting and exciting equal to the scary and just allow people this space to, how, you know, if, if you're forming new relation, how do I date my donor recipient? Like, how do I talk about this? What do the kids call each other, right? All of these things we don't have a model for yet. And so, you know, part of, I think, what might support increase in embryo donation in general is just starting to get comfortable with some of these things. Sure. I mean, I guess my thing, what I thought about early on was, um, do people even know, I mean, I'm sure they probably know that it could potentially be an option, but when you're going through IVF in the beginning, first of all, you're probably not even thinking that you're going to have, you know, remaining embryos. That's probably you know, phase one, it's like, I can't even think that far. I just want to be able to have embryos, let alone have excess embryos that I have to make a decision on. But I wonder if the fertility clinics are doing enough to really educate people on, okay, these are your options. And then with embryo donation, it's not just oh, just donate to us and then we just give it away to somebody else. There's so many other options. Do you feel like clinics are kind of doing patients a disservice with their lack of education? I can take that. So I I do think that on the positive side, I will say it seems that more and more people are getting early education. And I think we're eventually we'll get to a point where it's no embryo donation is no longer an unintended consequence of IVF, but perhaps a uh, maybe consequence. I don't even know what to call it, but it's something that would be planted. A seed would be planted early that this may be a consequence. Um, In my particular case, uh, the first time I went through IVF, uh, I think like 18 eggs were retrieved. Um, two were viable. I got pregnant with one and then I had a miscarriage. So when I was going through IVF for a second time, the last thing on my mind was, oh, I might have a surplus of embryos that they need to donate. I may have been educated about it. I have zero recollection of anybody talking to me about it, signing a form, checking a box. Um, All I remember is just wanting to become a parent so bad. And when you've had so much loss, it's really hard to imagine like surplus or, you know, anything in that realm. And again, I, when I did go through it the second time, we had three viable and only froze one. So I've, I've never been in a case where, you know, I've had many, many embryos to donate. Um, that said, are clinics doing people a disservice? I would say no, if they are educating early on dis- disposition options. Um, but yes, if they aren't. And I'm sure Gina or Maya might have more well, to add to that. I, I do think that they're telling people about disposition options. I just don't think that they're giving enough information about embryo donation and what that would look like. You know, because I think it's definitely different from a perspective, like Maya was saying, a perspective of being the donor and accepting those embryos and a different perspective for the families that are going to donate those embryos to another family. It's kind of like the education on both sides need to be technically a little bit different because you're you're coming from two different perspectives. 
Yes. And I will say at the time of like pre-IVF, it's just very hard to imagine yourself in that situation. So even if I had received a lot of education about what embryo donation may look like, it would have been in one ear and out the other. That said, once we had a frozen embryo and we, we received the yearly bill, I would have loved more information and education because I had to do that on my own. And that's why I started my website is because I felt like there was just like, what does it mean? I don't get it. How do I donate? How do I do it if I want it known? Where do I go to? What are the legal aspects? You know, do I need a psych eval? Do I need to get FDA testing? Like all that stuff? Yes, I do think that that education is needed by far. And that's part of what you know, that's part of our grant as well, right? It's because, yes, there's the patient education and, like, you know, connecting with the community and donors, recipients, potential donors, potential recipients. Um, but there's also this whole level of clinics don't have the time, to yeah. be quite honest, right? And a lot of even well-meaning clinics, they don't have the time, the staff, you know, the, the the bandwidth to manage all of the emotions. So they can give a little bit of education, but how, you know, donating your embryo to another person really isn't a checkbox on a disposition form. Like you need a lot more. And, you know, we're creating a lot of those tools um, through Empower uh, to hopefully support that process and make it easier for clinics because this, you know, accessibility and just making things just a little easier, you know, is, is what we hope to do. But I think early education for clinics also should include things about, you know, do you inseminate, if you have a lot of eggs, like in Gina's situation, what are the risks of inseminating all of them, right? There's a cost the factor that plays a role, but also, you know, there's, you could have remaining embryos. And I think there's a mindset for a lot of patients. I want as many as possible because I don't know how many I'm going to need to get the family that I want, right? And so you might, you know, Gina says this sometimes, like overshoot it. <laughs> Right, because there's no exact science or, or equation of how many, you know, how many embryos you'll need. And same thing with genetic testing that's become so popular that you know you're getting information on the front end about embryos that's really helpful, but also sometimes that information can be challenging for patients to have. And I don't think people know that. And just in my work, I've I've seen that more and more that people go in and they go, Oh, I have, you know, four girls and three boys because they've been PGT tested. And then there's a different connection all of a sudden where they go, you know, and they, they're going, okay, how do I throw away for, you know, these babies that are now identified specifically? So people might not might want to be educated on, do you want the gender or the, or the sex of all of the embryos or just to know that there's some of both and you have a choice? You know, it's like, so I think there are some specific things that early education is really important about. Um, but yeah, I, you know, so... There's, there's work to be done. Mm -hmm. that's, that's why we exist, hopefully. <laughs> I, I wanted to add to that because I think that, yeah, early education is great. But I think one piece is that these are profound decisions people are going to make no matter where they are in their journey. When you come in, even though doctors are always talking about it now, like, what is your ideal family size when they come on the front end? Most people don't really know the answer to that question until they've had a kid and they know what their life is going to look like. Like, I literally, I wanted four kids. I remember saying, I want four kids to my husband so many times. And then once I had two kids, I was like, I'm done. And he's like, no, you said four. I, he didn't even want four.
four at the beginning, but he's like, you said four. I'm like, yeah, I did say four. That was crazy. That was crazy. I don't know why I said that. Like once I realized what it meant to be a parent, it changed everything. I saw my kids and I saw what would, what I would be taking from them if I had another baby and still wanted to have a career. If I, if I, and I picture our lives, our lives in a lot of different ways to think about, could I give what a new child deserved and what my children that are already here deserved? And I couldn't do the math. I couldn't figure out a way to meet all of our needs and have more kids. And I just, I just feel like that's one, it's nice if you can say, yeah, like if you have the self-knowledge to go in there and say, I want this many children, but everybody I talk to, that's not the reality. They do not know how many kids they want to have until they've had a child or two or whatever. And then they, they kind of have a sense. And even once they're done, a lot of times there's this, like, if you have embryos in the freezer, it's like the door never closes. Like you, you can't just, you can't just say, okay, I'm done because there's embryos that are there. And even myself now, like we've donated and I've, you know, we've already donated all our embryos and our first couple is done with their family now. And they're, you know, we're, you know, in this place where we're like, okay, well we can redonate. And now I'm like, and now it's putting this on me again. Like, oh, maybe I'm in a place where I could have another baby now. Like, and it's like, that's crazy. (laughs) So it's like the, the constant, like push the pause on the, the biological clock that we get in this place. It's like, how can any doctor really do enough education on this? This is profound. This is not just medical. This is, you know, your entire life on the line. Sure. When, when would it be good for someone to begin considering embryo donation? Obviously, clearly after you've done with your family, but there has to be more than just, okay, I'm done with my family. Okay, I'm good with embryo donation. Let me go ahead and donate it. I Obviously, there's a process to it, but I wonder if you can kind of talk about what that process kind of looks like. Yeah, I mean, I we hope the process is one of education because that's, you know, learning about what this means. You know, in terms of timeline, there are some guidelines around, you know, it's what after your, you feel your family is complete, you know, Jen always kind of highlights it. A lot of people don't know when exactly that is, but I think it's become, it's not something you want to do when you're, you know, pregnant, probably, even right. though some people do. You, you want to feel fairly confident that you're not going to need or want the remaining embryos. Um, and then once you make a decision, you know, it's recommended to wait several months before actively going to do it, you know, to, to go through the process. And I, and what we're hoping is that in those, that time between deciding, okay, this feels like it's something I want to do and explore is that you really get to explore it. You really get to, you know, Jen's doing these groups with donors and that that's a specific space where people can explore. What does this mean? What does this mean to you? How are you thinking about this and conceptualizing your genetic child being raised in another home by different parents? How does that, how do you make sense of that? You know, is my partner, if there is one, on the same page. A lot of times there needs to be a bit of a coming together that, that happens. You know, you, you everybody needs to feel really comfortable and confident. Um, how is this going to impact my children? How are my children going to feel about this? How am I going to talk about it? So the, the tools that we've created through Empower really hope, you know, there's a lot of early education stuff, but we hope that this time period between, okay, this is something I'm really interested in, I'm curious about, I want to learn about. Then you take the time to really explore it to, to a point where you're feeling 
super confident. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with matching too and how you how you match and connect with somebody else. And sometimes they're just, you, you just connect and feel right and, and it makes sense. Um, but, you know, you really want to give yourself the time without pressure to, to explore it fully. Yeah. And just to piggyback on what Maya said, because she brought up, you know, partner's views, if there is one, because we've been talking about a lot of this as like, what should you do as if there's just one person? And there, the truth of the matter is that there often are more than one person making these decisions. So that's a whole other factor to think about. You know, um, when I chose to donate, it took my husband and I a while to decide because he wanted to donate to science. I kind of wanted to try for another baby on my own we kind of um, came together with donating to someone else, but it can take more time when there's another person involved. Um, and then two, when there is divorce or you know other things like that. Um, again, it's like, how do you really know what the right time to donate is? And will you feel differently one year, two years, three years from now? Um, and one of the things we talk about in my group, you know, because you know, so many people, you know, are, are either considering the decision or have made it, but we talk a lot about at some point along the way, you make a decision and then whatever comes after that, that's your new life journey. That's your, your new work. And so if you make a decision to donate, for example, to a, another person and with that comes nothing but joy and happiness and um, invigoration and feeling worth, that's wonderful. But if you donate and you have some days where you feel a little jealous or you feel a little worried about the future, or you feel worried about how your own children will receive the information or, you know, the, the donated embryo will feel, um, that's okay too. So it's really just this process of, of, of forgiveness in navigating your feelings, whether no matter what end of the spectrum they're on. Sure. And to go back to your point, all of the genetic contributors must consent to the embryo donation. Yes, as well. Absolutely. It's not just a one-sided thing. Right. And yes. that includes if they, if they were created by a don, an egg donor or a sperm donor. Um, even if those people were anonymous, there still has to be consent to redonate for any genetic contributor. So well, in that regard, I do have to say, if they were a donor through a fertility clinic, clinics are not going back to those donors and asking for consent to be able to, you know, have them if embryos are created and then we now those embryos are going to be donated to another family. They do not. They should have on the front end, though. So they may. They may yeah. I mean, me starting off as a donor in, um, well, I did my first donation in 2000. I can assure you, nobody Maybe. was asking me about the disposition of those remaining eggs. And as a matter of fact, I just found out a couple of years ago that one of my families that I donated for, um, after they were done with their family, they went ahead and donated those embryos to somebody else. And I had no idea. It was just happenstance that I found out. Wow. So that is a common thing that is also occurring is a lot of these families that are being created via uh, uh, donated eggs or donated sperm or, you know, whatever. I don't necessarily know if that person who donated knows of the disposition of those embryos. You might be thinking, well, I just donated for this one family. And then next thing you know, no, it's not just that one family. So um, I'm not surprised that, yeah. that that is the case. And I know that is definitely the case because it happens to me personally. So 
people really have to think about all these things. It's informed consent. You know, the, the donors have a right to know these things also, right? And so these are a lot of things that, you know, hopefully as embryo donation becomes, you know, more accessible choice for people that the legalities of it and the, you know, psychological well-being of all participants becomes just more and more considered. Yeah. How but, does one go about finding donated embryos? Like, you, okay, I'm interested now what? Gina? <laughs> exactly. That's the million dollar question. Where do I find an embryo? <laughs> and it's not an easy one. And accessibility is hard. Finding the right match is, could be hard. Um, but there are different ways, I guess, from just more of an overview. Gina, do you want to answer this? I can jump no? in, but you seem to be taking it well. No. Okay. Well, so there are a number of ways that um, people can go about embryo donation. So one is through a clinic, right? And we talked about a little bit um, what that experience is but oftentimes those clinics are um, facilitating embryo donation in what's considered an unknown way, sometimes still called anonymous. We always do air quotes around anonymous because anonymity really doesn't exist anymore um, with technology and, and genetic testing, at-home genetic testing and things like that. But through clinics, sometimes a patient can relinquish or essentially kind of give custody of their embryos to the clinic, and then it's up to the clinic to decide where those embryos go. So um, that's one way that embryo donation happens. And, and and we hear that there are really long wait lists sometimes. Uh, it's kind, and sometimes there are policies like if you want siblings, that you, the embryo batches sometimes are split up. And so, you know, there's not really a possibility for sibling sets and things like that. So every clinic has different different policies. And honestly, you know, states have different laws also. So I think it's very, it's, it's hard to give kind of a general um, understanding of that. But, um, but, but sometimes embryos come through clinics and sometimes there are, uh, people are matching more and more through social media. That's how Jen, Gina found her second recipient through Facebook. Um, her first was a family member. There are some other agencies and matching type platforms. There's not a ton of spaces, um, but we're that's what we're working on also. Moxie Matching is going to be our open matching platform that hopefully will be launching soon. I think we're getting there. Software development has been an interesting um, detour in our, in our mission, but, um, but it's been really interesting. And I think we just want to provide a space where people can connect and get education and support along the way. And so, you know, hopefully that will be be a space where people can meet. But, you know, I, it's, I think people need to decide first how they, you know, what kind of arrangement, what kind of relationship they're looking for. And that begins to dictate um, what route that they go in. And then they're also with these different agencies, sometimes there are different values and different um, specifics about them that you just need to research and see what feels right or what connects. Some places take more of an adoption model. You know, we talked about that a little bit um, and whether or not that makes sense for a person, you know, they have that has to be it's kind of a more of a personal decision mm -hmm. do you like ladies have anything else to add <laughs> no this has been been really great to just be able to to talk about this i mean we could like we joke because we we have these conversations and they just go around and around and you know in, in good ways not not circular necessarily but because yeah, there's just so many different places to explore and so many different perspectives and so many different needs in this mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're just hoping we can provide some of that by sharing our own stories and by, you know, doing, doing the work that we're doing and trying to educate patients.
patients and clinics. I think that's what you brought up a really good point because that's, you know, that's where the, that's where the embryos are. And that's kind of a big gap, you know, that um, we're, and again, coming back to how do we also help families who are created in this way, talk about this with their, with their kids and really create healthy relationships and, take any stigma out of the situation and just create a real sense of pride in how your family came to be and your decision to donate and whatever it is so that the kids feel that energy. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we talk about the here and now and, you know, the embryos right now, but long term, mm-hmm. what about the children? You They're know? people. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I just had Erin Jackson on the podcast as well, and she talked about being a donor conceived child. And mm-hmm. obviously, through embryo donation, these children are going to be donor conceived. And how does that look like for them when they become adults? And become our age, what is that going to be like? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, can I, I, I think that's exactly it is that we, we are very well, we're very aware that this is a family functioning issue, that it's really about how do we support p- families that are coming together in unique ways. And even from the perspective of like how much genetics is playing a role in our lives today, how do we support the sharing of genetic information between families who are, you know, between families that are genetically related, but are not being, you know, in, raised in the same households. This is, this is a growing conversation that's been happening for a long time since egg and sperm donation became a thing. But now embryo donation is putting it in, an, in, a, in a new lens. And I think that we're just really in a place where, we, where we're redefining family and what, it, what makes family and finding new pride and new ways to embrace our genetic identity and our social identity. And I think that there's this this place, there's this tension between those two things. Um, if we don't, if we don't have more broad conversations where society understands that not all families come from, you know, a woman and a man, like that, you know, like it's not always that it's not always some, you know, it's always not like totally heteronormative. Like there's, there's, there's other ways that families come together. And I think that we just, our conversation is growing and we just need to see that this is a long-term thing that's for the good of all people to be inclusive and to be, to start having the conversation involve donor conceived people and their needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. Uh, I am curious, what irks you about embryo donation? <laughs> That's a good, I, got, I feel like I have to think about it. First. Uh, I, I can say what irks me a little. Well, I don't know if it's irks or just what I kind of one. got me fired up a little bit about stuff. But I think, um, you know, I, I think what is challenging, or maybe you could say what irks me, is these programs that continue to claim anonymity. Mm-hmm. And um, one, because I don't think that's fair to anybody donating <laughs> because it's just not a reality anymore. But it also leaves families on the back end when you don't have a consensual way to connect. It leaves families really feeling like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Is it unethical to do, you know, 23andMe testing with my kid and see if I can connect with somebody? Or is it a missed opportunity? You know, or, you know, if I, if a donor donated at one point in time, say, I don't know, seven years ago or something, not really knowing how the landscape was going to change with anonymity or and DNA testing and whatnot. And then what if they've changed their mind and they're interested? 
usually those donors are told, well, that's not part of our program, right? You experience that as an egg donor, right? You you might donate and then be curious, was, was a child conceived or, you know, and, and then you're told you have no rights on that side of it, right? But my frustration is there is a possibility that both sides, both the recipient who's like, oh, well, I have a kid now who has a full genetic sibling or siblings out there and, and other people that are genetically connected to, I would like that child to be able to um, have access for health reasons, medical reasons, but also for identity and just, you know, basic human rights reasons. And the other side, the donors could say, oh, you know, I donated to this program because I thought I was helping somebody. But yeah, I'd be totally open if they connect. There's no mechanism to have these people connect. And oftentimes the clinic is not really willing to take on that role because they don't have the time or they it's already been established as an anonymous program in quotes or, you know, whatever it is. So that's part of this system that, um, that I, I butt up against and I find pretty frustrating. I have an ERC. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> just, just making a statement here. <laughs> it's a good one. Like it took me a second, but I think if I could come up with one ERC, it is when things are presented in a very black and white way and there's not a lot of gray area or there's not a lot of time or value being given to the complexities um, or they're forgotten or ignored. So it's kind of what I was speaking to earlier. You know, no matter what, this is going to be complex, even if it's the best decision of your life and you only feel joyful. What irks me is when, you know, I guess people don't show show their vulnerabilities because I believe we all have them Um, as embryo donors, as embryo recipients, you know, we can unite over the fact that our path to parenthood hasn't been easy. And so, you know, I just ask people to show their vulnerabilities, let themselves feel. um, And when they don't, kind of irks me. (laughs) So that's mine. Got it. (laughs) I don't have a huge irk, but I mean, I I do agree with both of those things. And like, that wasn't what I was thinking about. But um, one thing that I just, it's sort of an irk is that, is that, the the terminology of embryo like especially when it's mis it's when it's misunderstood with embryo creation um, programs that are creating you know embryos in clinic um, using you know unknown um, egg donors and unknown sperm donors and then calling it embryo donation that like also irks me because it's just like this is such a different experience um, for do- people that are donating their embryos and it's like when people don't understand the terminology enough, they can't even, they don't know how to react to say, oh, I'm an embryo donor. And so it's like, it's it's so other, like there's not, there's not a lot of understanding um, when we keep miss, we, when we keep inserting different terms to for this, it just like nobody has a central understanding of what this is. And so it's understandable that society doesn't know how to react. Yeah. Um, so that's my one thing that I'm just still challenged by. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And I want to go back to a point that you guys talked about earlier, because I know that there are different organizations out there. There are currently organizations out there besides fertility clinics that do embryo donation, but you guys are an inclusive organization and believe that all people, regardless of gender, sexual identity, marital status, or religious belief, have a right to pursue parenthood. This is worth highlighting in part because early embryo donation organizations tend to have conservative affiliations, and we're not keen on helping those who were not 
heterosexual and married and not using a uh, gestational carrier or only carrying the pregnancy themselves. And they also had to do a home visit just like they were doing like all of the things. So, you know, I definitely want to have you guys talk about that real quickly as well. I know we're running out of time, but um, I definitely wanted to um, touch on that as well. Um, Yeah, I would just say thank you so much for touching on that. And absolutely, that is at the core of our mission is to be all inclusive. And not only, you know, for, you know, who we see this as a, a, a family building option for anyone and everyone. And again, we don't see it as the only family building option. We're really pro choice and pro education. So I just want to say thank you for pointing that out. And I wanted to add a second thing. And I wanted to thank you, Eloise, for this interview, because you have this in common with us. And that's that I don't know that there's another organization out there that are all personally involved with embryo donation in the same way that we are. We're all either donors or recipients. And in the same way, it's so great being interviewed from you because I know that you you're, you have your agency and you're also personally involved. And so, yeah. yes. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And, and it, I think it's just, you know, everyone has the right to pursue a family, <laughs> right? I mean, it's just like kind of the bottom line with all of this. And I think, you know, especially, you know, we, we, we see the process as matching for donors and recipients to come together. I think our, our mission is to empower choice. And it's the choice of all people involved in the specific match, the connection, the process, you know, whatever it is, it's not to be dictated by somebody else. And yes, for some people, that choice might be within the certain limitations of some of these agencies. And then that might be a good fit for for that person. And that's totally fine. We want to just provide a, a space where people can of all, you know, all kinds of people can come to to try to find their their connection, to find their match, and to essentially find their families, I guess, in some ways. Yeah. So that's that's what we ground ourselves all in. All unique individuals. It's not going to be a clean and cut dry, like this is how it's going to be for every single person. It's it's impossible. It would completely be impossible. So okay, one final thought that each of you would like to share with our listeners and uh, whoever would like to go first, but just wanted to get a final thought from each one of you. I think you're not alone. If you're facing these decisions, there is community. There are people that are in the same boat that are trying to make difficult decisions on either on both sides. And there are people that very much care about the experience of the donor conceived people that, you know, that these can go hand in hand, that you care about the donors, you care about the recipients, and you care about the children that are that that are going to grow up and, and have thoughts and feelings of their own. And there's a space that we can all come together and try to find a, a balance that meets people's needs. But that was so good, Gina. Like, I don't want to say anything else because it was perfect. It's it's exactly right. You are not alone. We are all about educating both sides, donors, recipients, and the long-term family support for the children born from this family building option. So I don't have much to add because Gina's, yours, yours was great. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, uh, third exclamation point on Gina's last words. But, you know, I think it just also that all feelings are valid. 
and all this is a really unique and special family building option for, on both sides and um, that you know the best that people can do is educate themselves to make informed decisions and to really empower themselves to to make good choices for themselves and, and their families well ladies i I could probably, I have like 15 additional questions that I'm not going to ask. I know we've ran out of time, but I so appreciate you guys' time. And um, we are going to add all of your information, including the Empower um, website on the show notes. And um, I'm just grateful that you guys have, um, number one, you're walking through these shoes yourself so you can give a personal experience. And I really do think that that's important because when you do give that personal experience and you know what that person is going through, you can truly, or you're speaking from the heart, you know exactly what it is that they're walking through. So um, I really am just grateful for you ladies um, for your own personal experiences. And then even on the professional side and helping to educate the community that is very much needed. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Yes, thank you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. We've included additional resources, including links to the CDC and SART IVF success rate tools in our show notes. You can follow Fertility Cafe on its new Instagram and Facebook page under Family Inceptions. If you haven't yet, go to your listening platform of choice and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We'd also love you to share Fertility Cafe with friends and family members who would benefit from the information shared. Join us next week for another conversation on modern family building. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits, neither should parenthood. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.